0: Welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray, the podcast for people who like wine without all the stuffiness that is sometimes associated with wine. And you know, when you think of Monterey County wines, Bernardus is one of the first names that comes to mind. Bernardus is synonymous with quality winemaking in Monterey County, producing varietals in both the Burgundian and Bordeaux styles. If you've driven... Through the Carmel Valley in California, you've no doubt seen the beautiful Bernardus Lodge and Spa, which was started by the winery's founder. And if you've driven just a little farther, you'll get to the tasting room for Bernardus Winery. The story of Bernardus also has cars at its beginning, so buckle up as we get to know winemaker Dean Decorth and vineyard manager and grape whisperer Matt Shea. We are the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin,
1: and we are sitting here with Matt and Dean in the Bernardo's Tasting Room, which is in the very heart of Carmel Valley. And yes, it's a beautiful day here in Carmel Valley. There's lots of folks on a Tuesday afternoon enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the wines. They have their Pets along with them, so... <laughs> well, Carmel's you know. known for liking dogs, yeah, so it's appropriate right. that we heard a little bark there. We, lo- we love that. But, um, you know, Bernardus is a beloved label. Um, it's got a devoted following, not just here in California and the United States, but also in Holland, and we will get into the reasons why that the founders have that heritage. Um, Mary mentioned the cars. Um, there's So there's a connection to... VWs, and race car driving, but um, there's a rich history here, a rich story, but the exciting thing is, even though this is one of the more established wineries, they keep evolving and growing and adapting and changing, and we, Mary Babbitt and I were here, I hate to say how many decades ago. (laughs) (laughs) Don't count. Don't count, but... um, we have certainly seen the evolution and we're excited to, you know, hear about the journey from you guys and um, get into tasting some of the wines and get to know you better. So, Dean and Matt, welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Happy, Happy to, be to be here. here. <laughs> <laughs> we're glad you guys are with we us today. That. Yeah, that was beautiful. <laughs> that went really well. We love that. A, a good
1: duet. Um, so, Matt. um, Walk us through the history of how Bernardo's came to be.
2: Certainly. Um, you mentioned cars, and um, that is um, a thread throughout our history. And one of the first reasons that our founder, Ben Pond, came to this area, because we also have the Laguna Seca Racetrack. He was also an avid golfer, and we're just miles from Pebble Beach. It has lots of golf courses, too. So he was coming to this area for his kind of own hobbies before he even had the idea to start a winery. Uh, While he was here, he tasted some of the wonderful wines from Carmel Valley. In particular, one of the earliest wineries out here was Derny Winery that uh, made a Cabernet that he thought he could duplicate, emulate, make even better. So in 1989, he purchased property in Carmel Valley, and we... um, bought an existing winery, we remodeled it to up the production to 50,000 cases, which is about where we are now, and we planted the uh, Marinus Vineyard at that time. Marinus was Ben Pond's middle name. So, oh, so
0: it's not about the marine influence? No. Interesting. No,
2: it's, it's a family name. So he um, came here for the golf and the cars, stayed for the wine, <laughs> needed a place for his friends to stay, so he built a hotel. Uh, the hotel was uh, built in 1999. So our first vintage, and Dean can help me on this, was a, actually a Chardonnay from 1992. Is that correct? 1990.
1: 1990.
2: Yeah. Um, and that those were um, grapes that we actually purchased because we were waiting for the Marinus Vineyard to come into production. So the original vision was that we were going to be a red, kind of Bordeaux house. And then We've started buying Chardonnay to get uh, some practice in the winery, to get some cash flow, to get people practiced on how to make wine. And uh, Don Blackburn, our first winemaker, um, made such a fantastic Chardonnay that we were um, featured in Wine Spectator, had a cover shot, a five-page article about how we were one of California's newest best Chardonnays. And now fully half of our production is the Monterey County Chardonnay which is kind of the wine that we're most known for at this time.
0: That must have been something else to get that right out of the gate. Yeah. yeah. Really I mean, helpful. geez, that's Well, it's,
2: it's always been um, Mr. Pond and now our new owner, Robert Vonderwallen's vision that we, quality, quality, quality. No matter what we deal with, it has to be as good as we can make it. Mm-hmm. So they started that way and we're hopefully continuing it.
0: Well, and that it speaks to what you're doing too. Uh, not only you, Matt, as the grape whisperer, what you're doing in the vineyards, but uh, Dean, you as the winemaker and director of wine. Uh, you've been here almost two decades now, right? Yeah, I'm in my 18th year now. That's terrific. Tell me your story. You, the, the yeah. French connection <laughs> and in your French influence comes from you actually studying in it, France.
3: I did. It kind of started. A long time ago, I was actually a musician in Los Angeles back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and I happened to meet my wife, who was French woman that was living in Los Angeles. We decided to get married, and I'd been playing in rock and roll bands for a long time, decided it was time to settle down and get a real career, and uh, so we got married, and the other, my only other passion besides playing music was wine. I discovered that... My parents, when I was growing up, used to go to Napa or Sonoma on the weekend and take us. They would go wine tasting, and my brother and I would just wander around. And I always loved just being in wineries. I always thought the smells were great, and just being in the cellars was really awesome. So I thought, well, the only other thing I could really get into would be wine. So my wife said, well, we could either move to Sacramento, and you could go to UC Davis, or we could move to France, and you could learn there. So we decided, okay, that sounds a lot better. France, so, Sacramento, Yeah, France it was an Sacramento. easy choice. <laughs> of course, she spoke French. I didn't. So um, the, we just sold everything we owned and pulled together as much money as we could and uh, moved to, first to the West Coast where I went back to school just to study French for two years and did harvests in the Loire Valley. And then after two years, we moved to Burgundy and went back to school there. Studied enology and viticulture for two years and worked for wineries. Um, spent uh, about seven years in Burgundy. And, uh, and then in the early 90s, we decided to move back here. So uh, we moved back, and I was able to work for several wineries. Uh, at the time, I worked at Morgan Winery for about, I believe, seven years, winemaker there, and then moved to a year at Talbot. Then I was headhunted for David Bruce Winery in the Santa Cruz Mountains for two years because um, I love Pinot, and they said, well, yeah, we make mostly Pinot, so they were going to pay me a lot of money, so. <laughs> and, and I went there. And then um, when the previous winemaker here, Mark Cheesebro, decided to retire and move into the grape growing business and uh, start his own winery, he called me and said, are you interested? And we live here in Carmel, so I was commuting an hour, 45 minutes each way to go to David Bruce. It was pretty brutal, especially during Harvest. So uh, we decided, uh, I interviewed Mr. Pond at the time, and he said okay, and hired me, and ever since then, it's, uh, and then soon after that, Matt showed up, so we've had a great (laughs) relationship ever since.
1: So Matt, before you showed up, how did you get into becoming a Grape Whisperer? How did you learn about grape growing? What's your background?
2: Um... A very circuitous route brought me here. I um, grew up two miles from where we're sitting right now. Um, Other than my mom and dad being avid gardeners, I had no interest in agriculture at all. I went to uh, a university up in Oregon, at Corvallis, at Oregon State University, to get a degree in history. Um, My first year in, you were required to take a science elective. And I chose botany. And I easily got an A in botany while I was getting C's in history. (laughs) Um, So I decided to switch to botany. And then I learned that botany was more kind of research-oriented. And I was more into the production side of agriculture. So I switched to horticulture. And I ultimately got a degree in um, organic and sustainable vegetable production with the goal of being kind of a Saturday market, kind of hippie farmer.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I had VW bus and Guatemalan shorts. uh, (laughs) You were
0: totally set then. (laughs) I
2: I was totally set until I went looking for a job and they wanted to pay me in green peppers. Um, (laughs) He was
3: was called the pepper whisperer. (laughs) (laughs) Of course
1: he was.
2: So I, um, all along my last two years at university, I was um, living on a vineyard. And I was working on that vineyard to pay my rent. And so I had kind of gotten involved in that world. And I also had a, a healthy uh, healthy affection for fermented beverages. <laughs> so you can't ferment green peppers very well. Um, so I, um, after looking a little bit for a vegetable job and not finding anything, I um, started really at the bottom with a vineyard management company. And I was out working with the crews. Um, And It came to me naturally. I was the uh, co-manager of the company within three years. Then I went to a single vineyard um, and uh, Then I finished up at another vineyard management company um, and we were the largest vineyard management company in Oregon and I was working myself to the bone. I had 157 employees that reported to me and we had 14,000 acres and it was just crazy and I was ready for a change. So I um, I called, I called Bernardus and said, do you want me?
0: <laughs> and they what? said, yes. Well, and you know, it must, must have been meant to be because you said you had a, a Volkswagen bus. And isn't there a Volkswagen connection with uh, Ben Pond?
2: There is indeed. The Pond family is credited. His father, uh, Ben Pond Sr., is credited with designing the first VW van. In fact, we have a... Um, cocktail napkin or a placemat with a drawing a sketch drawing of the first um kind of idea of for a vw van wow so yes full circle
1: it was meant to be (laughs) i think so
2: very very much so
1: that is fantastic really cool so you guys have both been here long enough to see an evolution in the winery um And a new owner. So let's talk about that. Um, Talk about the new owner and um, his vision for carrying on the legacy of Bernardus.
2: Our new owner was handpicked by our founder, Ben Pond. Uh, We were actually in a 10-year kind of succession plan to change ownership when um, Ben Pond unfortunately died um, two years ago. Um, So... Very much um, a hand-picked selection for that direction that the company is going by Ben Pond himself. Robert von der Wallen is also uh, from Holland, so we continue the legacy of, of Dutch leadership, which means we're always on time for our meetings. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> I would be horrible here. <laughs> yes, actually, we're always 10 minutes early. Um uh, Robert Von Der Wallen is a, uh, a fantastic man who, ag- again, carries the, the same um, ideas for, for quality that, that Ben Pon had. Mm. However, he's a little bit younger and a little bit hipper and a little bit more kind of tapped in with um, the, the newer direction of uh, social media branding. He, um, he owned a, a loyalty company where he helped other companies build um, loyalty programs. Um, So he's very much um, hip and new and aware. So um, he's making some changes um, to our label. That's one change we have. uh, We've gone from kind of our traditional crest to a more um, youthful appearance. And um, he's very much interested in um, kind of uh, exploring new uh, programs, new wines um, but always keeping with the same kind of passion for quality.
0: Yeah, and and does that impact to Dean for you the winemaking style yeah. at all?
3: Only in uh, the fact that uh, he wants us to make more of the wine we make now, but never sacrifice quality. So he knows that we've kind of developed a following for a certain style of wines, and he doesn't want that to change. So he's always saying he's always saying need to grow, we want to grow, but we'll never sacrifice quality, we want the same style and quality always, and if it comes down to not growing, then the most important thing is maintaining the style and quality, and to that end also, we're um, in process of negotiating to build our own new winery, so we'll have a larger winery for maybe the larger production wines, and maybe keep the smaller single vineyard wines and marinas at the present facility, because we're just maxed out completely there. We just can't grow any bigger where we are. So for our Monterey Chardonnay and the Sauvignon Blanc, which are our big production wines, we're hoping to have a new winery in about five years in the Salinas Valley. And that ties in with the Sauvignon Blanc that we've been tasting. Oh, and oh, uh, Which is from the Griva Vineyard, Michael Griva in Greenfield. He planted uh, the Musquet clone for us back in the early years, back in the 90s. That's kind of become one of our most famous wines. And uh, so he has a piece of land that we're going to be building a winery on, it looks like. So we're in the middle of getting that arranged right now. So hopefully in the next five years, we'll actually have a large facility there for some of the larger production wines.
1: That's exciting. It's It's really exciting. exciting. Congratulations. Not many people can say that. That's cool. He's a
3: fantastic person. He's very quality conscious. He grows a lot of the Chardonnay for our Monterey Chardonnay. He's our largest single producer of Chardonnay grapes for the Monterey Chardonnay, along with some smaller productions from other growers. Yeah. And then he, we have this uh, pure 100% Michael Grieva Chard, uh, Sauvignon Blanc. So, um, yeah, he's very important to us and a great partner.
1: I, l- I love the aromas that you get from the mesquite clone in Savignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. I you know, too. It's, it's more floral yeah. and yeah. just absolutely beautiful. So um, for folks who come to visit the tasting room, they're not going to see a production winery here. Your winery is actually a good
0: bit of a drive. Yeah,
1: it's a track
3: to <laughs> it's get, a get there. A track there. To it's get about there. a half an hour away in yeah, yeah, yeah. the hills. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But you do have a lot of vines right here. Uh, well, at the lodge, when you drive by the lodge, there's vines there. And are those,
2: Matt, are those our vines? Can you speak to that? I certainly can. Yeah, we have a seven-acre vineyard called Ingrid's Vineyard, uh, which is in front of the Bernardus Lodge. And that's Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, which is, as the crow flies, only nine miles from the Pacific Ocean. So it very much gets the maritime influence, the fog in the morning, and very cool days and consistent weather. And then you drive 25 more miles, 25 more minutes, and you go up to 1,500 feet go into the Keshawa Bowl, which is quite a bit hotter. When we left there, it was 91. Where we are now, it's like 68. Um, and up there, we grow our Cabernet, Merlot, Cap Franc, Petit Bordeaux, and Malbec. So in any given day, I can go through a 40-degree temperature swing <laughs> and visit seven different varieties of grapes.
1: All in the
0: same county. That's crazy.
1: So you are experiencing that diurnal shift that the grapes experience. I am, yes, (laughs) yes.
2: And I learned early on to always have a jacket in the car.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Especially when the winds start coming in. Yeah,
3: you can see it now a little bit, actually. It starts to pick up right around noon, and uh, you get a nice cool breeze. Although in Carmel Valley, it's almost always very sunny in the afternoon. So it's kind of got that nice diurnal swing between cool, foggy nights and then nice, pleasantly warm, but not too hot afternoons down here where the Chardon Pinot are.
0: You know, you mentioned the lodge and the fact that Bernardus has been around a while here. So I know you get a lot of you're a destination for people and coming to visit the tasting room and stuff. And I'm imagining you get a lot of international visitors because there's a real international connection Um with Bernardus, Can you tell us about that? You have a lot of fans uh, overseas.
2: Yes, indeed. We get lots of uh, Dutch visitors. I still can't speak Dutch. Um, I've tried, but it's a hard one. Um, <laughs> so we get, uh, we're, we sell... I don't know, maybe ten to fifteen percent of our production goes to Holland. Really? And that's big. Yeah. yeah. And we're in a couple other European countries as well. So we get not just visitors because they know our founder or our current owner, but because they've actually tried our wines over in Europe. So that's kind of exciting for them to be here and see where they're grown.
1: Really fun, yeah. I know. So you're big in the US and California and you're big in Holland. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you find that the folks um you find your wines in Holland um, have a different palette or, you know, because are they more used to the European style? Do they appreciate the California influence?
3: Well, um, actually, I think our Chardonnays are a little bit influenced by my years in Burgundy because yeah, it's... I was wondering about that. are kind them. of cool weather style pinots So I think that really helps us. I think that's one of the reasons Mr. Pond actually really, really liked... Uh, Having the wine, you know, he really appreciated the wines that I was making when I got here. So um, When first thing he said when I got here was okay, I don't like the Sauvignon Blanc, you need to change it (laughs) So we changed it pretty dramatically the first vintage.
0: I like what you've got, what um, we just poured that was really nice Oh, It was
3: great. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since then he always said I don't care what kind of scores you get as long as I like the wines That's all that counts. (laughs) And we make some money (laughs) Well, that always helps uh, the good thing is also for me, is he just said, you have it, the basically an unlimited budget. You can buy whatever barrels you want, get whatever grapes you want, um, just make great wine. So wow. it was sort of a dream come true for me. And I think also the Dutch do appreciate the style of wines. I know the Chardonnay is huge over there right now. It's mm-hmm. become one of the most popular wines in, in Holland. So. And that kind of moves us over to the whole question of the rosé. I don't know if we want to get into that. Matt, well, talk, do you want to speak to the rosé? you know,
1: let's, let's talk about the Chardonnay that you just Oh, cool. let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. The Chardonnay.
0: <laughs> it's, it's lovely. The Sauvignon Blanc was fantastic. Mm-hmm. We started with Sauvignon mm-hmm. Blanc. Now we're on the Chardonnay. It's really nice. Some in my glass.
1: There, it just magically <laughs> appeared. <laughs> so, well, you know, I've
3: uh, spent, as I said, seven years in Burgundy, and I've worked for some really great wine ma- uh, wineries there. And so it's, it's kind of a combination. It's, I only use French oak. I don't use any other, um, I don't use American oak, no offense to the people who do, but um, it's a style that I really love is the, the French oak influence. And it's very subtle. I keep it lower like 25% new oak, and um, mostly it's in older French oak barrels, or some of it I keep in, in tank just to keep a lot of bright fruity notes in it. And uh, we try to have it some nice crisp acidity, but some nice fruit expression, mm-hmm. some complexity with the oak and a lot of leaves stirring in the barrels. Yes. So it's I try to get a rounded, mm-hmm. you know, some bright crisp fruit characters, but also some deeper, you know, slight. I hate to use the word buttery because that's kind of it's it's abused, it's creamy. It's creamy mm-hmm. and it has some complexity you know? and some richness to it, but mm-hmm. it also has some crisp bright exactly. acidity it's, it's and nice some balance. fruit flavors. And I try to get that, and that's been our most popular wine by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good half of what we make. Is that is right? our Monterey Chardonnay. That's
1: fantastic. And I do want to talk about the label, because there is a, a redesign. Mm-hmm. You have the classic label that you still have on the Marinus. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a very graphic representation. It's a big B. Yeah. A big giant B. And it's all white, yeah. and it's very minimalist. yeah.
3: It is. That was one of the things he, Mr. Robert Vanderwallen wanted to go in a different direction. He wanted it to be very clean and very modern and stylistic. So they came up with the B. The letter B is um, kind of the symbol of the the winery now. And so there's a giant B on it. The label is cut in the shape of a B. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's dramatically different than the more traditional label we had. Uh, But so far it's been... It's been pretty well accepted by most people, not everyone. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. sometimes change is hard, but it does keep things fresh when you're yeah. when you're switching stuff up. Absolutely. You know, and I think yeah. you guys probably appreciate. We talked about this earlier, uh, Dean, about how wine is always changing. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as a, a duplicate vintage. I mean, yeah. every year, and, and Matt, you know, too, from uh, what happens with the weather. Um, There's just so many factors that go into every year and every season of grape growing. So change is just uh, part of the wine world, right?
3: Absolutely. In fact, I've changed my style over the years. I used to be 100% barrel fermented. And along with a lot of people, I've become more interested in less oak. And so I have about 25% just keep it in stainless steel to blend in so that there's a Sort of a brighter, more fruit-oriented kind of expression of the wine, and it also you can taste the quality of the vineyards better that way. I think you don't; it's not overshadowed with a lot of lees contact and a bunch of new oak. Um, so I've kind of adjusted my taste buds and my style of winemaking over the
0: years, along with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So. Right, and I'm, I'm guessing Matt, you too have, you know, changed things up the way it, whether you're growing different. Um, varietals, or just managing your your vineyards differently over the years. Uh, yeah, and I've
2: made some uh, quite a few changes when I first came here 15 years ago, and really started to manage the uh, Marina's Vineyard um, more like a Pinot Vineyard. You know, we dropped yields from about five tons per acre to like some most years under two tons <coughs> per acre, and really trying to get um, concentrated, interesting fruit. Um, We've also pulled out maybe. 25% of the vineyard and planted new varieties as they've come along, um, trying different root stocks and that sort of thing. And um, more than ever, just because of the climate, I have to constantly be reacting and changing and um, you know, sort of pivoting on almost a daily basis now. Um, whereas I think 15, 20 years ago when I was farming, it was much more straightforward. We mm-hmm. still had weather events, but they weren't this is extreme...
0: Well, yeah, let's talk about that, the fires. I mean, how has fire impacted Bernardus? Um,
2: Fire is a a new reality here in California. Um, In the uh, 15, almost 16 years, 16 years and a month that I've been here, um, we've had four fires where we've been evacuated from the winery. Um, Two, three of those fires... um, had enough uh, smoke saddle to affect the wine, and out of those three, two vintages we just didn't make wine from our estate vineyard because um, testing from the lab came back off the charts. So we've taken steps to harden the winery, but there's really nothing you can do.
1: Sure, you can't. I mean, doing steps in the winery is one thing, but you can't prevent smoke from penetrating the grape skin. If, right. if, if it's in the air long yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. So, are there, have you changed, especially when you know there's a threat of fire, um, that the conditions are, you know, very favorable to fires erupting um, in terms of how you're farming, when you're picking?
2: Well, if the smoke is bad enough that the crop's not going to be uh, harvestable, then you just quit spending any money in the vineyard. Um, if there's a hint of smoke, but you don't think it's going to be very damaging, there's steps you can take in the winery um, in, you know, last barrel time, different fermentations, that sort of thing. But in the vineyard, there's not really anything that you can do. Mm-hmm. What we can do, which we weren't able to do in, to the same extent in 2008, we can now do extensive testing where we test for the volatile phenols that are precursors for smoke taint. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to know before you go in and harvest if you're going to have the effects of smoke. Mm-hmm. And that's a great tool because you can make all kinds of management decisions Yes, uh, knowing if you're going to pick or not.
0: Oh, and save that the time, the effort, the money of picking a crop that's in, in taking care of a crop that's not going to be any good. Well, that's yeah. got
1: to be heartbreaking. Oh, I'm you sure. Have, yeah, you
0: have brought the crop
1: to near fruition and then you just it's it's lost it's mm-hmm. lost. So when that happens, clearly you don't make the vintage of the, those those varietals that year. How does that present itself in terms of you've got a shortage? Are you you know can you fill can you fill in or it's just you, you know people <laughs> can't get the wines they. They want. I'm, sh- I'm shaking my head no. I can't <laughs> That's been yeah, a
3: right. problem. 2020, um, we lost, we had almost no red grapes we mm. can pick because there was fire around San Lucia Highlands it, um, and in Carmel Valley as well. In fact, as Matt can tell you, it actually burned part of the upper rows of the Marinus Vineyard were actually burned. Um, and he was out there with the fire people trying to guide the help to guide the fire away from the vineyard Mm. and um, so we just got a little tiny bit of Pinot Noir from some Arroyo Seco vineyards two of them one from Griva and one from a neighbor that so we made a small amount of Monterey Pinot that year we hadn't made Monterey Pinot for a long time and um, so now we're starting to make it again but um, that was only a I don't know what, maybe 800 cases or something. That was the only red wine we could produce that year. So it was a big loss. So we work really closely with Gary Franchoni in the Santa Lucia Highlands, which is my favorite grower in the world. And um, so we get a lot of single vineyard wines from Gary Franchoni and Mark the also. So those are fantastic, but in twenty twenty we couldn't get any of it. And he was they were all heartbroken too. I mean, they were sending yeah. up samples and we were sending up samples and mm-hmm. they just kept coming back like it's just, you know, too borderline to take a risk. So Yeah,
0: yeah this has impacted so much of California and yeah. the West. I mean, oh, and yes, it's so absolutely. sad. Oregon, Washington, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's not just a Bernardist problem, it's everybody's. So, this uh, we've tried the Sauvignon Blanc and the Chardonnay, two winners, and you said you have a rose you wanted to talk about? I thought I heard you say that, Dean. Yeah,
3: we did. We've always made a little Chardonnay for ourselves out of uh, some Pinot Noir grapes. You I mean rose? But Mr. Van der uh, loves Provence rose from the south of France. So, he has uh, organized this bottling. From a, a winery called Lacoste in the south of France, from Provence, and we have a new wine that we're just releasing. That's uh, sort of a, a wine made there, but with kind of input from us here at the winery of the style. And uh, our first vintage is twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty
1: one. I can <laughs> the back of the, it's the, back me. Of the bottle. It's That's why I know. <laughs>
3: yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have my reading glasses on. So <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, twenty twenty one. And they. Since Mr. Rannerwollins, he has a marketing background. They came up with a really beautiful bottle with a very clever logo. And uh, it's just an absolutely gorgeous rosé from Provence. And uh, that's one of the things he loves and wants to grow that program as well as our own programs here.
1: Well, people just love rosé. Oh, it's huge
3: now. It's so funny. Definitely. Years ago, you oh, couldn't pay people to put oh, it yeah. on I mean, table. we
0: talk about the evolution of wine yeah. and how things are constantly yeah. changing, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. No. I mean,
1: and it's gone through so many phases now. There was the rosé phase. and rosé, yeah. Yes. yeah.
3: I remember going through the Merlot phase where it was a huge Merlot in the early 90s. Everybody wanted Merlot. And then all of a sudden, like 10 years later, it's like, oh, don't. Poor Merlot. I don't drink Merlot. Now people are drinking it again, and you Mm -hmm. know it should just be if it's really good. If it
0: tastes good, we should. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind
3: of a pop culture phenomenon wine. You know, it goes through these funny phases, like the rosé. Now it's mm -hmm. huge. It's amazing.
1: So, Dean, this being the 2021 vintage, you probably didn't get to travel to Provence.
3: Not no, they keep they kept telling me I was gonna go, but then because of COVID, they kept having problems getting people to travel. So they sent they sent samples over from Lacoste for us to taste. So we as a group we tasted through them and kind of scored the ones that we really liked. So the one I picked, fortunately they had other people taste them as well and decided that I was right, and that that's the one they actually made the wine from. <laughs> go so I was lucky. Yeah. I was very happy about that since I was really worried that the, the owner was going to go, no, I don't like that one. What's Dean thinking? I don't know. So uh, anyway, I think we came up with a really great product here. Oh, I think
1: you did. This is what I love about Rosé. I mean, just the, the strawberry aromas. It's just it's so fragrant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just love
2: how, how crisp and clean it is. And, and it's it's much lower alcohol than our other still wines and very soft. And it's just a very approachable wine. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: and and the label, Dean, you were mentioning, um, it's, it's um, again, a, a little bit different from even the labels on the Chardonnay and the Sauvignon mm-hmm. Blanc and some interlocking bees,
0: Which is, kind of look like hearts. Which yes. look like
3: hearts, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were very clever about that.
1: Love that, and love this wine. It's terrific. It's
0: It's really, really. And I hope you guys get uh, a trip to Provence in the the near future. They
3: keep saying that we're going to, so we're waiting.
0: (laughs) I think it's nice on a summer wine or a patio wine. A a lower alcohol is really nice because, you know, you're not in the tank, you know, poolside or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So Matt. Ben Pond could have started a winery anywhere in the world, right? How did he come to choose Carmel Valley? Well,
2: he knew I was born and raised
1: here. (laughs) The most important criteria.
2: Um, As as we mentioned, it was his love of of golf and and race car driving that probably brought him here. But he had dual citizenship and ended up really spending half of his time here. Really fell in love with this area. And um, as has lifelong friends here as well. So I think it was a, kind of the perfect combination of it being a wonderful Grape region, mm-hmm. having a wonderful climate, and actually a much better climate than Holland. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it having all of his hobbies, race car driving, um, golf, and um, hospitality.
0: And he was kind of a whirlwind of a guy, right? A very busy, energetic Go, go, yes. go.
2: He was a, a bon vivant. He, yeah. He kind of separated from his siblings who stayed in the, um, in the pawn family business. And he was an Olympian. He was an avid hunter. He was Olympian. a race car driver. What was he in the Olympics for? He was in the 1972 Olympics. He doesn't talk about it because he only won a bronze. And, you know. Oh, only a bronze. And, Come on now. And, no. and uh, I believe it was a uh, skeet shooting. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Gosh. I read
1: about that. Yeah.
2: Um, so he uh, was, like I said, an avid hunter, and so anything to do with guns, he was all about. <laughs> okay, <coughs> um, and he at one point had homes on three or four continents, and would just kind of travel around, racing cars, hunting. What a and, life! Um, and drinking wine. Yeah,
0: a true Well, and he, huh? he truly left his mark on this area. Really? I mean, yes, he did. He.
2: Definitely, we were the first tasting room in Carmel Valley. Were you um, in 1996? We opened this tasting room, and we are the first. And now, Carmel Valley is, is a legitimate, known destination for wine it tasting. It is. You can
1: just park your car and walk to so many different tasting rooms, sample a wide variety of wines, wine styles, grape varieties. Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: it's it's just great. I love also the fact that um, that Ben Pon blessed. Robert Vanderhallen as his successor, right, it, it is the guy to take over and um, and run the wine and own the winery and and carry on the Bernardus name. I yeah, love that.
3: He actually uh, Robert Vanderhallen built, constructed, and founded a new golf course in the south part of Holland um, called Bernardus Golf.
0: Oh, And that's Mr. Cool.
3: Pond was able. It was still wasn't 100 finished when Mr. Pond was over the last trip over there. But um, there we actually have some pictures of Ben hitting some golf balls on this barely new, barely functioning golf course. And uh, so Mr. der is very, very much um, he's in love with the whole legacy that Ben created, and he knows that Mr. Pond, the whole Pond family in Holland is very, very famous. Um, they have imported all these cars, the Porsches, Lamborghinis, and Volkswagens, and um, they've been a, a very famous, wealthy family, so uh, he really wanted to kind of keep that whole spirit going with something Mr. Pond, the two loves he loved, which were the golf and wine. So, and I eating. love that. Great. <laughs> as
0: well. Yeah. So Yeah. How nice, though. Yeah. So um,
1: I think we have a couple of reds to
0: taste. Once again, it's a shame to pour these wines. We, yeah. we just take no, sips and we pour it
3: got a lot to do here today. <laughs> oh. Dean, do you want
2: to introduce oh. this wine? This must be the San Lucia Highlands 2021. It
3: is. So. Yes, we are about to sip uh, some of our San Lucia Highlands. We do five different single vineyard uh, wines from Pinot, of Pinot Noir from the San Lucia Highlands, including the, uh, also the Ingrid's Pinot Noir from the front of the lodge here in Carmel Valley. And uh, so those are small production wines, but from the best vineyards in the county. You want to pour for us there, Mr. Matt? Thank you. And um, so we, uh, but we also get s- from selected vineyards in San Lucia Highlands to have a larger production wine. We can make about 8,000 cases of a San Lucia Highlands wine from a blend of about five different uh, grape growers in San Lucia Highlands. And uh, this is, uh, we're going to taste our 2021, which I not sure if it's released at the moment but it, if it isn't it should be soon and uh anyway San Jose highlands is just such a wonderful location for both pinot noir and chardonnay that uh it's become almost world famous i was now. just
0: going to say it's got a worldwide reputation i would say i mean yeah. it's it's the place so many people are seeking trying to get grapes from and make because I mean, the aromas quality. are pretty amazing the and this is this is That's not such, even our single vineyard <laughs> i
1: know it's
3: well, you know, sometimes blends just really. Yeah, yeah. blends can be great. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. mm-hmm. one of the f- parts of my job that I love the most is putting together blends. Um, I have an assistant winemaker, Jim McCabe, and we he pulls samples for me, and then he and I taste through them and come up with ideas on the blends for like. When I pick grapes, I usually split them up into small groups. So if I have a Rosella's Pinot Noir, Picking, I'll have maybe five different little picks that I treat a little differently, each one of them. So I might have anywhere from four to 12 barrels of each type of Rosella's Pinot Noir from that vintage. And then I have to kind of put together a blend of the best of the best and have everything kind of balanced and the right flavors that I really like. Um, And it depends. We get three different clones from Rosella's Vineyard. And, um, and I treat them a little differently each time. So that's the fun of the job is putting together blends. I love that part of it.
0: So, oh, you have blended up a great one here. Oh, this is really good. This is
3: from, uh, there's a little bit of uh, some, a little bit of the Gary Franchoni vineyards in this, but it's mostly uh, Tondre vineyard and oh, okay. uh, some Kirk Williams oh, nice. and a little bit from the other Franchoni vineyards mm-hmm. and, uh, so, like, and a little bit of...
1: That would be Gary's. Yeah, Sobrane's. Yeah. The Gary's
3: Vineyard would get so little that it 100% goes into the Gary's oh, Vineyard okay. bottling. Okay.
1: And is um, there some Rosella's in
3: this? A little bit of Rosella's. Anything that doesn't make it into the final blend for the single vineyard bottling will go yeah. into this. Okay. So it's going to be a small percentage, of course. But, um, you know, you,
1: you you named some of, the, you know, you, you said um, Gary Francione is one of your favorite growers. Yeah. But also Tondra Vineyards, um, Tondra is.
0: So heavy hitters great. there,
1: yeah.
3: The good <laughs> yeah. thing about Tondre or Joe Allerd is that he has large production and I am able to get a lot of a lot more grapes from him. Mm. So that's really kind of the, the anchor for the San Lucia Highlands blend is from Joe Allerid's Tondre oh, okay. Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um so okay. you know, my really so I get Rosella's Vineyard Pinot Sierra Mar Vineyard, which is Gary Franchoni also. I love that vineyard. Uh, it's If you've ever been there, it's perched up on a mountaintop, yes. practically. It's an incredible view, and it makes, I think, grow some of the best Chardonnay in the state. Yes. It's beautiful. absolutely it's superb. Beautiful. And then I love Rosella's, and we get sobranes we get Gary's. So we were super, super lucky. It's one of the reasons I was really happy to leave David Bruce to come here, because the sites, the grapes I was able to get here were just the best in the state mm-hmm. for me, The what, what I like the best.
1: You get the um, cream of the pick.
3: For me, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to kind of pick the blocks and the clones I want. So I've, I've known Gary since the 90s, so I've known him a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we're good friends. And uh, if I decide, okay, I don't really like this clone from this block, can I swap it out with somebody? He'll find a way to make it happen uh-huh. for me. So he's he's been really good to me.
0: That's amazing. Mm. Love that. Is Wonderful his, man. Yep, really and Super his wife,
3: Rosella. She's great, yes. too. <laughs> and his kids, Adam and Nick. They're all great. Great family. <laughs>
1: um, so we have one more wine. And um, if anybody. It's a pity, but here I go. Mm. I'm pouring it out. It's um, understandable. You know, most people probably know Bernardus through this wine. The, the, right. um, this, this is your Bordeaux blend, Marinus.
2: Yes, and this is what we often refer to as our flagship wine. Yeah. And it is what Ben Pond's vision for the winery was in the beginning was a Carmel Valley California <laughs> They're Ordose laughing because style. they're sitting
0: right next to each other just practically <laughs> <laughs> hugging as they're trying to share this microphone. So it's um, I, I wish you all could see what what I'm watching but it's cute and Probably fun. You know. And clearly these guys are good friends because they're <laughs> super guess. comfy with one another.
2: <laughs> indeed we are. So yeah the marinas is, um, not only um, Ben Pond's vision, but one of our favorite wines too. It's um it's important to me because I live on the vineyard where this is grown. Do you, Do you? so oh, fine. I wake up every morning and go and, and walk through these vines and so check
0: on your little babies. Check on my babies. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. And it's it's very much a favorite in the local community as well. Mm. It's very well known and very um, appreciated.
1: What what vintage are we tasting? We're drinking the 2013. 13. 13. Mm. Yes, because I was going to say it's so smooth.
2: Well, we um, over the years have figured out, and a lot of our neighbors think we're crazy, <laughs> but we figured out that if we let it hang into November and even times into December, that the um, the harshness of the tannins will dissipate, dissipate the pyrazines and the kind of vegetative yeah. characters will go away. And the sugars don't really spike. It, it stops um, accumulating sugar at about 23, 24 bricks, mm. but the skins get kind of loose and flabby and break down a little bit. Yields drop because the fruit's kind of getting naturally desiccated, not a kind of sugar desiccated. Yeah. And um, like I said, our, all of our neighbors have you know, put the tractors in the barn and are done right. for the year. You're and Dean and I are wrestling about when to pick. <laughs> it's, it's, it's December
1: first, I mean Yeah. yeah.
2: So it's um, it's a combination of a wonderful site. It's one of the only like south facing vineyards in the Keshawa Bowl. Um, great, uh, great soils, great um, clone selections, and then Dean's expertise on on making a making a really great wine.
0: Oh, it's gorgeous! Wow. And the
1: 2013 is this your current release? No, we're up to so. Um, so we're you're treating us to something special. Yeah, oh, well, wow. you know, it's a
0: Tuesday. We like hey. to
1: do <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday
0: wine. Well, <laughs> that explains it. Yeah, <laughs> when you think about the fact that it's a Tuesday, yes. of course you're going to roll out. The library,
2: but one of one of the nice things about this wine is I think it's ready to drink mm-hmm. in about three to four years, and it will stay vibrant for ten to fifteen to twenty even. Mm-hmm. We've tasted through library wines uh, back to the nineties, and maybe the the early nineties are getting a little tired, but the late nineties are still vibrant and fresh. Wow. So, um, it's a it's a fun.
1: This is the wine I want to see how it's going to evolve in the glass over a little bit of time. Here, Mm -hmm. this is lovely. It's very silky, and the Mm grape
0: fruit flavor. Love it. We, (laughs) we,
3: um, Matt and I tasted through several vintages just before you came to see what was going to show the best, and the, the actually the uh, newer the 2014, 15, 16 were just they were really nice and fruit forward, but they were still really kind of tannically structured and Mm -hmm. tight and needed to really rest and open up and so that's why we kind of picked the 13 which is really just getting into that period where it's great to drink it Mm. so yeah that's one of ben's ideas originally was just to make a bordeaux that would be age worthy something in a bordeaux style Mm -hmm. in Uh california that was always not as opulent and fruit bomb kind of esque as some of the bigger Napa types, but sure. something that was more of a leaner, age-worthy style of a Bordeaux-style wine in California.
1: Really
0: so, gorgeous and so elegant. Good. I love
1: it. I know, and and, and I can tell it. You know, in five oh. years from now, it's still going to be fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's going to be different, but it's still going to,
0: you know, have that core character well, to yeah. it. Mm. I was thinking about the fact that you said you live at the vineyard that's, I think, a tremendous amount of people would say that would be a dream come true for them. Tell what? Tell me what it's like to live on a vineyard.
2: Well, everybody thinks that our wine life is so romantic and idealistic and wonderful. <laughs> Look at you two. I, I mean, d-
0: it is, right?
2: <laughs> it basically means I wake up at work. <laughs> 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 um, it is fantastic, and it's the only life I can really envision for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love what I do, and... Um, the fact that it's it's kind of remote where the vineyard is, it's up in the hills, it's, you know, 20 minutes to the nearest coffee shop is perfect for me um, and for my dog, and it's, it's an idyllic life. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything.
0: And you really get to watch the seasons through your vines too, right? That's true. In California, we don't have really dramatic seasons necessarily, but you're really right there with the growing season, and you... You get to see everything that's happening that way.
2: Correct. And I I, I did, well, 11 vintages in Oregon before coming down here. And uh, I've left the uh, rainy winters of Oregon in the rearview mirror. Bye-bye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: still have a very fond appreciation for Willamette Valley Pinot Noirs. Um, but the California uh, lifestyle, the California climate, and, and growing grapes here in Monterey County is fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Well... These wines are so delicious, and we're so honored that you are sharing the 2013 with yes, us today. Yes, thank you. And sharing the story of Bernardus, and we're so excited about um, how Robert, the new owner, is really such a great caretaker of the Bernardus mm-hmm. legacy, mm-hmm. and that he wants it to continue and you know, hopefully appeal to a new audience. But, um, you know, you're such an anchor for Carmel Valley, for Monterey County, and such um, great ambassadors as well. So, um, you know, cheers to you guys. Yeah, this cheers. has cheers. been a
0: treat to what Bernard is, the history and the future of Bernard is. Thank you for sharing both with us. Uh, thank wow. you for
2: joining us. It's a perfect Tuesday. <laughs> perfect Tuesday.
0: <laughs> sip sip hooray, guys. Sip, sip hooray. Cheers. Thank
3: you all for coming down the Marys. We're really happy to host you here today and great to see you both again
1: oh, you. our pleasure our pleasure. to tuesday wine cheers, cheers. to
3: Tuesdays.
0: well that's going to do it for our show today thank you for listening to sip sip hooray podcast we hope you enjoyed the show because we sure love bringing it to you and if you do like it, we hope you share Sip Sip Hooray with your friends.
1: So go to whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. Be sure to review us, rate us. It helps other people find their way to Sip Sip Hooray. And you can also subscribe to our pod so you don't miss another
0: episode when it drops. If you're looking for past episodes of Sip Sip Hooray, you can find them on our website. It's sip, sip, hooray, Podcast.com. Be sure to
1: follow us also on social media. We are at Sip Sip Hooray podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are at Sip Sip Hooray, the number one. Be sure to DM us with any ideas,
0: questions, or just leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We are, of course, the two Marys, and we do like to eat, drink, and be merry. So Mary Orlin, cheers to you and Sip Sip Hooray. Cheers, Mary Babbitt, Sip Sip Hooray.